Vital Educators podcast is hosted by self-development coach, investor, and renowned educator, Ahmed Saqib. Ahmed will speak to fellow educators, young professionals, ordinary people like you and me about their life choices that allowed them to become successful in their careers. He will also delve deeper into the psychology and their perception of success, the good, bad, and the ugly. For young students, he will discuss techniques to help you with your learning and development. Ahmed is committed to helping you determine what you want to do in life. He will share his own life experiences of self-discovery and self-realization that has led him to launch this venture. So this podcast is for anyone who wants to know more about various paths to becoming successful in any profession or passion. Hi guys, Ahmed here from Vital Educators. So today I have a fellow podcaster on this episode and he is he also talks very passionately about education and um, and he's been doing so a lot longer than me and uh, such an inspiring figure. Mark from Education on Fire, thank you very much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm brilliant. Thank you, Ahmed. I really appreciate you having me on and I'm really looking forward to a really insightful conversation. Absolutely, absolutely. So your uh, background is uh, mainly in arts and music, and uh, I come from a STEM background. And um, and and given the fact that uh, I've gone entrepreneurial in my uh, lifetime uh, so far, I I I've realized that there is a huge whole lack of creativity in the way I operate, in the way I function, essentially. And 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 I, since you're from an arts and music background, what kind of things that you do on a day to day basis to induce creativity and to induce imagination and to do more productive work? Well, you're absolutely right. I, um, I'm a trained professional musician. That's what I did um, and what my passion was from a really young age. Um, when I was at school, I kind of enjoyed playing the drums, but only really because we had to do that as part of our music class when I was aged 11, 12, when we went to secondary school. Um, and I just at that point knew there was something within me that I was just thinking, oh, I'm really talking in a way that I'm not able to do verbally, if that makes sense. And I think that's even more important as your teenagers and, and, and as you're growing up. And there was just something about me inside of that, which was just kind of, I need to do more of this. This this, this is what feels really good and I want to spend some more time doing. Um, and that took me all the way through then from being able to, you know, be involved in more county related things as a teenager and then into bands and then into music college and then into the profession so that sort of creativity that sort of arts-based thing is really kind of just it's it's a heartfelt thing in essentially it's that kind of I want to be able to speak to the world in a certain way and drums and mainly orchestral music that kind of more sort of orchestral side of things was the things that enabled me to do it and so I think bringing that forward into education generally and into the sorts of work I do now. I sort of have my professional playing career still, or certainly it was before COVID and closed all the theatres. Um, and I then used that passion to take it into into schools and, and I do some drum teaching as well. And then, and then into the podcast. And all of it was really led by that sense of, does this feel right? Does it feel like I'm able to support people? Does it able to feel like I can support myself? And what what can I do with this? You know, how, how is it really going to help me speak to other people? And and I think that's really what that sort of creativity and that that arts background has really taught me. And then from that, it's then just the practical steps you need to better make those things a reality. Hmm. So um, now that of course you've 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 experienced all of this, um, and and of course you've built a podcast out of this as well, and uh, you use creativity in. In, in the way you teach as well how valuable do you think creativity is for success i think it's incredibly important partly because the creativity process is a question of experimentation and with all kinds of experimentation there's going to be things which work and there are going to be things that don't work and and that's a really really exciting thing but it's something which is difficult within lots of learning because i know from certain my experience of of working in schools but also is is a father and and actually understanding what it feels like for our kids in school there's a sense of you need to get tests right you need to get the right answer you need to kind of be expected to know how all these things work you know you don't want to get it wrong you don't want to answer ask a question um and the creative side of that is, is kind of the opposite. You know, it's that kind of you have to push yourself and allow 
everything to kind of fall away and then just go for it. Um, and, and that's quite a different thing. And, and so um, from my point of view, it sort of works sort of in two ways. One is the fact that I know that's a really... Um, it's a really creative way which brings you to the fore it brings you to the world you know you're able to show up in a way which um, is able to support other people and collaborate and it's that collaboration and that working together which I think is really really important but at the same time it doesn't fit into that kind of traditional mold of it needs to look like x because even from a stem point of view like you said you know even the scientists, you know, who are able to kind of develop amazing things that make our modern world what it is, it came from experimentation, which meant a lot of failure. And within that is a lot of creativity. And I think so the creativity isn't just necessarily an arts based thing. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of being that enables you to sort of push your boundaries and, and see where life is going to take you. Of course. I mean, the, one of the one of the entrepreneurs that comes to my mind when you speak of uh, creativity and how um, that this guy essentially uses science and creativity together to to really uh, make something tangible and that'll be Elon Musk and uh, when when he talks about creativity he actually refers to his childhood and how he was extremely inspired by by Isaac Asimov so so did you have an inspirational figure in your life that you were inspired by from a young age that allowed you to become as creative as you are today? That's it's a really good question. I don't think I did in as much as my inspiration came from the, the people that were around me, but also just ahead of me. Um, I came from a, a family where they weren't particularly musical, so I wasn't surrounded by music at home I wasn't surrounded by people that were performing all the time it was only sort of going through the school system and there was someone two or three years older than me who could play better than me that I saw something in them that I thought yes I want to do more of that and then I sort of saw someone a bit further down the line who was then playing in an ensemble which was even better again and then someone would be going to music college and I thought oh that sounds fantastic and so I sort of had my own sort of journey but only kind of sort of almost sort of two steps forward and one step back in terms of knowing what was going on. It was only when I started to travel to London and have lessons and and then kind of understand what the music profession was all about that I, that I start to kind of know the the people that were so fantastic. I went and had lessons with Michael Skinner, who was the principal percussionist at the Royal Opera House. And I, I remember going into my first lesson, he said, I'm just going to do a bit of this and a bit of that. And it's like, okay right now i get it now i kind of understand the level the enthusiasm the understanding that's needed in order to to, to get into college at that stage and, and then obviously get into the profession and and so yes it wasn't kind of like i know this musician that was really inspiring it was much more that i knew that person just slightly older than me that i knew i wanted to emulate makes sense and, and i guess uh emulate but also put your own um touch to it as well and take it your own way so my question would be then um why didn't you go straight into the music industry or compositions and films and stuff? Did you do any of that work or did you go straight into teaching? No, um, the, the teaching was always something I did alongside my professional playing. So I, I moved to London when I got a place at, at music college. And then from the moment I was at college, I started performing. I was, um, I was depth for my, for my teachers and various orchestras and various things. And so, I've, you know, I've had the, the, the opportunity to play in, in some of the London orchestras and I've played in some of the best venues around around the world. And 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 so the, the teaching element came from that, a case of wanting to give back, a case of wanting to share the things which I found so passionate with, with other people. I, I get an awful lot out of that. And I like the I like the essence of of finding out what it is about you as the pupil that I can talk to in a way that enables to get the best out of them. And I think you're right. There is that sense of you put your own spin on it once you once you're able to allow yourself to know i do this in my way you know there is no right way of doing it and i think one of the re one of the times i really understood that first was when i was at music college i had three very different teachers i had a timpani teacher a percussion teacher and a drum kit stroke sort of world latin american teacher and they're all very strong personalities all top of their game but they all talked about something which was like a common thread and essentially, that was the idea of feeling the music, of being able to interpret it, of being able to bring yourself to the to the performance that you were doing. And then I started to understand that it wasn't about holding a stick in this hand in this particular way, or or playing an instrument quite like that. It was about understanding all of these things, and then 
your personality, your understanding of the music, your interpretation of what you're doing, then makes that your your version, you know, and you can you can take that in any way you like. I don't know if you follow football, but you know, you think about the top four clubs in the Premier League, they they don't play the same way, but all four of them have something about them that people like and it's not necessarily the same thing you know it's the way they play it's the genius of one player it's the interaction between if you think about the front three of Liverpool this season which has just been amazing and and, and you know within that sort of understanding creativity you, you can really get a sense of it's those personalities that what makes it makes this team different than last year or you know a team from the 60s different from from current teams and, and I think that's what's really exciting you're right so how did this transition into teaching come into being then in that case? Because clearly you were doing what you love and um, and you were you were really good at it. I mean, what caused you to think like, okay, I need to share this with someone? It's really the fact that there are very few um, percussion jobs in the UK. It's not like Europe. It's not like some places around the world where you can just get a job and then you're sat there for life, you know, on your nice salary or whatever. Even some of the established London orchestras are still in some ways, freelance, as it were. So there's times as a professional musician where you have lots of work and there's lots of stuff going on. There's times when you've got less work and it's very seasonal. You can imagine Christmas is always manic with shows and Christmas-related stuff. January is usually not so much. Things are getting ready for things that are happening later in the spring and in the summer. And so there are very many musicians. If you like the the ability to sort of share your skills, that's a very good thing to do to run alongside it it enables you to really understand yourself as a professional but it enables you to use your skills to also earn money in a, in a separate way um but within within the same field and the two things i think go go really well hand in hand and so it's just a way of kind of having this sort of portfolio career that many people do have this in this sort of day and age oh fascinating so oh, one thing that actually um, reminded me while you were speaking about this was uh, that in your in your one of your uh, episodes, you mentioned um, the need to actually starting a podcast um, and how it kind of come into being. For, so, the, for, for those who do not know the story, how did Education on Fire? What was the reason of starting Education on Fire? How did it come into being? Essentially, so Education on Fire came. It was really a, a hobby. It was a passion project. Um, I was going into schools doing samba, sort of whole class music workshops, and I was seeing some amazing things happening in schools. But one of the things that I was sort of hearing around me within the media and the way people were talking about education was the fact that there wasn't stuff, you know, it was all kind of down on teachers and down on learning. And I thought that there's, there's a different conversation here because it's not a conversation I want my kids to have as they're going through school. And I thought... What's happened during this world, you know, is the fact that I was starting to listen to podcasts. I was able to kind of understand that, oh, okay, this is something I could actually do. There's a bit of a learning curve in terms of setting yourself up and and learning what's needed, but it is something that you can do. And so I took a an online course. I kind of really got into it. Again, back to that creativity side. It was just something I felt like I I wanted to do. I wanted to sort of share my voice on this but what I also wanted to do because of this sort of the technology ability now was to share the voices of other people that were doing creative things within school you know there are people down on education saying you need to teach English like this or maths like this or there's not enough creativity going on which to a large extent may well be true but there were people who were being creative there were people that were really seeing the bigger picture and supporting kids in a fantastic way and I thought, actually, if I can interview them, if I can share their stories, then there might be a teacher in a school who has no access to this kind of information, who can, who can suddenly go, ah, oh, that's a brilliant idea. That's something I can implement directly myself as a teacher. Or they've got a whole scheme of work. I could take that to my senior leadership team and say, look, this is happening really successfully in this school. I've just heard it on a podcast. How about we find out more information about it? And I thought that then is an exciting prospect because it just means that you suddenly have a global community, you have a global learning opportunity, and things can then start to change. I'm I'm not expecting any time soon, you know, an education minister suddenly turning around and saying, okay, now we're going to have as, many, as much time on the arts as we are on maths and English. Whether I think that's right, wrong or indifferent, it's probably never going to happen. But what can happen is one teacher in one school suddenly says, I know if we've got a little bit more of this going on or I've heard this being really successful and the outcomes have been amazing across the board, let's see if we can implement that. And then you have that kind of ripple effect 
and from there that affects the teachers that affects the other teachers in the school it has a direct implication to what the pupils feel and what they experience within their school and then bit by bit hopefully the education system has a way of evolving much more organically than just waiting for some massive change um, and I thought that was an exciting thing to do so I just thought let's have those conversations and see where it leads. Wow and where has it led then? Well that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a very good question. Yeah so it went live in December 2016 and it's taken me in all sorts of directions. I am, it's taken me to the point where I'm also vice chair of the National Association for Primary Education. So I have a little bit of a of an idea and a handle on exactly what it's like in the education profession from, from that point of view. Um, so that's quite good. It means that, you know, that's a, they're a non-political charity. It enables, enables us to kind of put a a face to kind of what we think education could be from a child-centered point of view not just a, a government point of view which I think is a it's a really important thing but what it's also enabled me to do is to um, I think this week we released um, episode 155 so you know we're, we're a long way into the journey we've covered lots of different subjects I also produced a podcast for, for NAEP, the National Association for Primary Education. So that's great to be able to sort of do that. And I started down the road of actually having a podcast network. Um, so I sort of had Education on Fire, I had this NAEP podcast. And also one of the things I then wanted to do was to actually have a podcast that I could specifically do to give some of this information directly to sort of teenagers and children about some of the fantastic things that you can learn about life from successful people you know things like you know the resources they came across the best advice they were given some of the education experiences that they had um, and so I actually set up a third podcast called learning on fire for a while and I had some fantastic conversations with those people um, and but what it did was is I, I kind of expected it to I know the demographics of people who listen to podcasts, you know, sort of teenagers isn't a high a high percentage, but I kind of thought that maybe parents would be able to share it with their children in, you know, when they're in the car or through Alexa or having breakfast or whatever that happened to be. And and the signs were good and um the interviews were fantastic, but the the it wasn't growing in a way that I wanted to in, in terms of the amount of time it took, because you know, producing three podcasts is, is not an easy feat when you're still playing as a professional and still teaching at the same time. So I suddenly had to kind of think, where do I want this to go? How do I want it to develop? So what I decided to do was to bring and everyone was talking about education on fire as well. No one was talking about learning on fire. I thought this is all just getting a little bit too complicated. I've I sort of taken my side hustle and my idea of just, you know, talking a lot about these things. And and I just needed to refocus a bit. So I decided to to shut that learning on fire podcast down and bring it into education on fire. So I use some of these questions now within the Education on Fire podcast. I've I've used those learning on fire podcasts as bonus episodes on there as well. And what it's done is it's just expanded dramatically. It's enabled everything to grow. The listenership is growing. Everything is is up and from a percentage point of view. So it seemed like it was a really, a really good thing to be able to do. But it really kind of focused me in terms of the things I get excited about, sharing that information of people. And I, originally I sort of called it successful people, but really it was people living life on their terms. Whatever that happened to be, that might be someone running a multi-million dollar company. It might be someone living on their own in the middle of nowhere. But if they got up every day and said, this is how I want it to be, this is how I want to show up in the world, then that was my idea of success. And so to be able to sort of mould that and share that with people within the education world and show them how they can do that and how they can bring these conversations to children, I thought that's a really exciting thing to do. I'm not in a position to say this is the best way to teach English, but much more about who are you, who's showing up, how do you want to come across in the world? And once you've got the basis of that, then you take, like I said, for me, it was music, and I took that and ran with it and became a professional. But once people hear what it is that they can be, they, they're sort of in a voice of what drives them, then the learning and, and more traditional education side of it is really the tool that they need to then be able to get out of life what they want. Of course. Um, did you not use, uh, did you not leverage the audience of Education on Fire to kind of go towards Learning on Fire when you had Learning on Fire? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I did, I did quite a lot of that in terms of sort of bringing it as a network and sharing it across but it works much better the other way it works much better from learning on fire going back into education on fire and um and that was an interesting thing to do because i had no idea you know in, unless you speak to your audience and ask the questions which is what i did and that's kind of gave me that that focus and that idea 
And, um, and what I'm going to be doing moving forward is um, I'm starting to build this education on fire community through sort of a, a private group of being able to just say, look, if all, all of us as like-minded people who want to share these sorts of ideas with children, how are we going to go about doing that? And I think what's going to happen or the, 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 the beginnings of these conversations are actually I've got so much content from all of these podcasts now. So across those three podcasts, I've probably, we're probably up to sort of 300 interviews, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of content there. And I want to be able to sort of distill that into a child-friendly way of being able to explain it and actually put it into a book that we can then make as close to free as possible, if not be able to gift it to, to children who really need the, the, the understanding that these things are out there. You know, this information's out there. There are people out there who are living life on their terms, and this is how they got there. It wasn't necessarily sitting in the classroom, not asking a question, being afraid of being wrong. It was the fact they asked the questions. They failed at school in the traditional sense, but then still got the qualifications and the understanding and the learning that took them in a, in a way of living the life that they wanted to live. And I think the more you hear that as a child, the more you understand that it's possible and also you're learning it from people who've been there and done it and therefore you can reach out to them or you can you can find out more about them you know like you said about Elon Musk it's that kind of if you get inspired by that conversation then go and read his books you know see stuff on YouTube you know, listen to interviews that he's done it's all there but if you hadn't heard it then how do you know and so this is kind of sort of my idea my way of being able to sort of bring that and repackage it in a way which hopefully will will get in front of children and, and give them that support of course i mean do you think that this is what we lack in school as well the, the appreciation of failure or whenever somebody fails rather than ridiculing them rather than telling them that they have not done well or they could do better or they well we should obviously emphasize that but uh but we're kind of using failure as a lesson do you think that practically these days we get taught that in school properly or 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 not i would say probably not um and there are a couple of reasons for that one is the fact that we have this sort of dichotomy going on that teachers and educators want to help pupils learn and to be the best person that they can be but at the same time they're livelihoods as schools that are able to thrive are run by governors that it's run by sats results it's run by ofsted results and all of these things together and that's what they have to focus on because that's what they're answering to every day so on one side yes they want to have these conversations with children they want to allow them to fail except they need to show kind of term on term and year on year and key stage by key stage that they're progressing I mean, it has to progress in a certain way in order to tick the boxes, which enable to show that's the case. And the only way they can tick box and show them this is the case is to get them through the next set of exams or the next set of tests. And the only way they can, they believe that they've got the time and the ability to do that is to teach to the test. And if you teach to the test, then that kind of broader sense of learning and understanding, there just isn't time in the timetable to do that. Um, and I think that's the reason why what you, you were describing is a really difficult thing in education at the moment. You do see it happening very successfully. There are some very successful schools and very enlightened heads who have a broad curriculum that know that the, the arts and music and sports and all of those things are integral to how children develop. And that if you have that as an integral part of what you're learning, as well as the STEM subjects, as well as everything else, you will enable the children to be the best they possibly can. Their results will be as high as they possibly can. You'll have happy, productive, you know, really enlightened children, and you will probably have the best results for a school point of view that you ever could. But it's only, it takes an enlightened head to do that. It takes time. It takes a supportive network around you to do it. And a lot of times, you know, there are checklists and there are tick boxes that you have to do, you know, for next week or the week after. And it's really hard to keep that bigger picture in um, in your mind when you're doing it and I think that's why it's so hard for teachers and people working within the education system at the moment so how do we create that balance where creativity and uh, I guess sticking to a certain structure uh, is maintained um, and i.e that Ofsted reports are important intelligence is important but so is creativity and uh, I, I remember in one of your podcasts you actually talk you talk about and uh, quite passionately I should say you talked about cutting Fund fundings from arts and music, and uh, and people are more steered towards obviously maths and English, as you said earlier, and of course towards the STEM subjects. Now, me coming from a STEM background myself, I feel that 
there's a lack of creativity in me right now. Now that I'm an I'm an entrepreneur, I have to think um and take initiative. And a lot of taking initiative, being innovative, allows uh, uh, it, it 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 is inherent that I I I become imaginative, and I've never had the opportunity to do so. Um, so how do how do how do I how do I induce that uh, going forward as an adult? Because it wasn't induced within me as a child. If if anything, it was suppressed. So tell me a little bit about what you believe that would be. I mean, do you do you learn a musical instrument, for example? Do you have an arts hobby that you do that? Ne- never. I never had the opportunity. Right. So I guess my my my, my starting point or my question would be, how about trying to do that? whatever that happens to be, you know, learn the piano, learn the drums, do, do, do whatever. Um, because I think it's only by doing that that you understand what it feels like to move, like I say, two steps forward and one step back to understand that you're having to think in a different way. You know, two plus two equals four, but music doesn't always look or sound the same today as it will tomorrow because you'll feel different because you'll understand things differently um and i think actually immersing yourself and understanding how to do that is really is really important and i think also it was interesting i can't remember who who said it now and it might have been related to um i think it was a large european um science project but when they were asking for people to apply for the jobs and to be involved in this project they they basically got the creme of the creme of people in universities and, and just people who were just incredibly smart, incredibly clever. But because so many people wanted to be involved, they took that as a given. Yes, you know, you had to have the highest grades to even get shortlisted. But beyond that, the thing that made the difference in the people that they gave the jobs to were people that had a background also in music and the arts because they knew it gave them a whole new perspective on what the collaboration would be, a whole new different way of understanding life above and beyond just the the knowledge and the academic understanding that they had by obviously being incredibly intelligent. And I thought that was a really interesting thing to do. And, and so I think, you know, as an adult or even children going through the system, having that opportunity to do that in whichever way it comes and you have to make it work for you so depending on the amount of time that you've got for example and whether you want a one-on-one lesson or a group lesson or online lessons it's available but you kind of just have to put yourself out there and and see what happens and it may work it may not but uh, that's part of the creative process in itself i guess wow i mean uh, that is extremely valuable of course and the, the one word that comes to mind after what you said is practice and just start anywhere and kind of, kind of, kind of blossom from there. Um, so I really appreciate you helping me out on that because uh, I, 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 I have these mental blocks um, when, when it comes to being creative. When it, when it comes to, for example, video editing is something that I'm passionate about, and um, I don't feel, I don't feel like the work that I'm doing justifies the passion that I have for the type of product that I've produced, essentially. So, and, and I think that comes down to my lack of creativity and the fact that I had not honed that skill when I was younger. And um, you telling me that really um, helps me out a lot, so I really appreciate that. Um, moving forward, then. That's okay. Now let's talk about from a from a from a practical point of view. Of course, you can measure intelligence by the IQ testing, as we already know, and their exams and their certain structures. How do you, in your opinion, how should we and how do we measure creativity? Wow, that it probably is the million dollar question, and um, <laughs> um, the best person to, to to find out about that is is probably Sir Ken Robinson and and um and his books, which are just fantastic, and talk about those things. I think the thing about creativity is having the ability to be free with things and to experiment, and and the way I often look at it is, if you I don't know if you have children, but if if you know when when children are young they they just do what they do you know piece of paper pen piece of paper pencil paint whatever it happens to be and they do what they feel it with the ability that they've got and that's incredibly creative and as you then grow it seems to me that what happens is is life and the world society however you want to put it kind of gets rid of that creativity because it needs to look like this it needs to be like that rather than just learning skills and tools to enable you to be creative better so for example as you get older you know knowing how to hold a brush or to know how to move 
certain things around to get different perspective or light and shade means that what's in your mind and you're trying to put on paper can then suddenly be a better version of that because you have the skills and understanding. You're not being told it has to be like this, but you have the skills and the tools that you need to do that. Um, and and I think that's really, really important. And also the understanding that you can be collaborative about these things and also who you're doing it for. Because I, it's interesting what you said there about the the video editing you know, it needs to look a certain way. It has to be good or it has to be, you know, I really like it, but it needs to be like X. And that may well feel true to a certain extent, but why are you doing it? Who's it for? You know, what does the person who watches it feel like? Do they really get something out of it? Are they able to see what you see? Are you able to sort of bring your image onto the screen and make that work? That then becomes creative. It also gives it a purpose and a voice and a vision, which is different than, it needs to look like this, 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 and this in order for it to be right. Um, and, and and I think that's um, that's true in, in so many different ways. And I think having that idea um, of what that looks like is key. And and, and I certainly find it myself um, as a musician. You know, I'd sit sometimes in an orchestra and think, oh, that wasn't quite, you know, just missed that note a little bit. It wasn't quite the sound I wanted. It didn't quite fit in the way I had. But obviously, the more experience you get, the, the less of those things. If you watch professional tennis players, they don't get all the balls over the net. They don't not ever hit it out, but they try and do better the next time. But what they are doing and what we're doing as musicians is we're giving an experience to the audience, which is mesmerizing in, in lots of different ways, you know. And remembering that's what you're doing. You're interpreting this moment in this way to give the gift of that experience to people watching or listening or taking part in whatever it is that you're producing. That then becomes creative and it gives you a focus and understanding of what of what it's all about. Because tomorrow's a different day. You know, you might be better at editing that day than the last day, but it doesn't really matter because your skills will improve and you will naturally get better at it but actually you've got the focus of who you're doing it for and who you're doing it with. And I think then you can let the rest of it go. Wow. Fascinating. I mean, this is invaluable um, information I, I, because um, for a guy like me, um, I always look at my creative process and um, I think I'm a lot less creative than I am more structured. And um, I think more you go into structure, I think I lose the, the flair not the flair. I, I guess I lose the, the the creativity aspect of things. So so this is this is extremely uh, valuable to me. Uh, how do we? Um, I, I know that. Um, I guess this is a. I guess this is a relevant question. Um, how do we um, focus more on arts and music, or should we, or should we not? What what, what do you think about that? Well, I think uh, in ter- in terms of schooling, or, or generally as a society, or. Uh, uh, well, in schools specifically, because I know that you mentioned in one of your podcasts uh, that uh, your, your, all the funding or a lot of the funding has mainly been cut from arts and music, and uh, people focus more uh, on, on 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 STEM subjects and on uh, on your English and, and maths. So, so how do we bring the focus back to arts and music in schools? So, the the main reason the the focus has changed is because. Um, the testing and the Ofsted is based or has been I should say based much more on those subjects because they're easier to assess and like you said how do you describe creativity (laughs) that's a very difficult thing to do without having a conversation and seeing what's going on so I think that there has been a change in the Ofsted framework recently which has a little bit more of a focus on what are you doing in the creative arts and, and music and that kind of thing which I think is a positive thing I think that will be very helpful um I think the other thing to do is the fact that you have to remember when children are learning something new, they're kind of like, oh, a little bit scared about this. I'm not quite sure how that'll be. And whenever I've done sort of CPD and workshops to try and support non-specialist music teachers to do music in schools, they have that same feeling of kind of, oh, no, this is really, oh, I'm not quite sure how this goes. And I say, but that's great because you're now understanding what it's like for a child to learn something new and to be creative. And, And you should use that as a really positive thing. And also it doesn't need to be, you know, playing with the London Symphony Orchestra you know we're talking about the idea of just pulse of rhythm of singing you know if you can sing a nursery rhyme if you can clap your hands if you can do anything like that you can make that part of how music is in your school you know one of the things I do when I've gone into schools and 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 done workshops is we sit in a circle and we do various rhythm games you know we pass rhythms around a group we say our names we do some clapping and some silent beats 
and I allow the kids to have fun with it. You know, they can they can sort of take the initiative a little bit. And then teachers go, well, that's really easy because all they're doing is, you know, clapping twice and in the silent beat saying their name or they decide that in the silent beat they're going to count in twos or they're going to say the alphabet or do the alphabet backwards or or whatever it happens to be. And it's being creative with it. But we're learning musical skills. We're learning pulse. We're learning understanding. We're learning how to be together and actually collectively have a sense of pulse and musicality. And then all those really basic musical elements can then be added together, which, you know, well, let's, that's great. We can do that. Why don't we put some of these clapping things and do them on our bodies to make different types of sounds? You know, why don't we use some percussion instruments? Why don't we split ourselves into groups? We understand that we have a pulse now. So that means we can play together with an understanding that the music is traveling at the same time. And then, oh, that's okay. That seems to work really well. Why don't we do it on some pitched instruments? And, you know, we can do a recorder or an ocarina or maybe a ukulele or maybe someone's learning the violin. And and you can sort of pull all those things together. And then before you know it, you've got an orchestra and then you can play in front of your parents and assembly. And then the whole kind of feeling of what music is in the school just changes and it doesn't need to be now we need to bring in and spend loads of money for a specialist fantastic if you can because you know that they've got that understanding and that knowledge to really get things going immediately but actually every teacher can do that with some sort of basic ideas of of what that can entail and how you can put it into every part of your school day and I think part of it is just that mind shift of that kind of yes you may not get an extra massive credit for something for doing that but what you are doing is giving an enormous credit for children and their understanding and their knowledge of what music is just based on those few things that you're doing take it as far as you possibly can if it's not something you're comfortable with as a teacher do what you can and that's okay it might be your focus is more stem subjects but there'll be other teachers who really do like it so they can really thrive with it and actually ebb and flow with those things and then you're working collaboratively then you're sort of you know as a school you're able to really enhance and support all of those teachers going around and I think I think understanding that small steps can make a massive difference can really help and I think one of the things that proved that to me more than anything was um, I when I was working in a prep school in London I think it's back in 2012 I was running an education company called Rhythmically Speaking with with a friend of mine there um, and the the musicians union and um, an organization called the Art of Music came and said could we just video some of the stuff that you were doing as part of the music classes um, and they were just really simple rhythm games which we then just developed into a little bit of basic samba stuff and it was great fun it's the sort of thing that we were doing at that school and around other schools um, for, for quite a few years sort of before the wider opportunities and that kind of first access music was going and um, and I think one of those first really basic rhythm exercise games which literally is like three or four minutes long has got something like now six hundred and fifty thousand hits on youtube or something like that and it's just people thinking oh we can do this it just needs to be just that basic thing and it is that simple and you can see you know sort of six seven year olds doing it it's like if we can teach six and seven year olds children to do it and really enjoy it then i'm sure as a teacher it's a skill we can pick up pick up really really quickly because the one thing teachers often don't understand and is one of the first things i'll try and explain to them is the fact that you have all the skills that you need in a classroom because you are their teacher you understand them you know the personalities you know how they are what you're worried about sometimes is just the music element of it or the or that kind of thing but we can teach you that we can show you those elements that's not that hard you don't have to be you know the next greatest violinist in the world you just need to have an understanding and the knowledge and that's one of the things which i i find really exciting and it's one of the reasons i set up uh, as part of education on fire was just using those musical skills and i've got a membership called primary music on fire which is just there to support teachers in that way just really basic musical things which you can do as a non-specialist to to build up your sort of skill set but also just to adapt and to move those things into your classroom and and build that from the sort of the ground up as it were what if um a music teacher comes to you and says that the so what you what you're saying is absolutely correct and i i 100 wholeheartedly 100 percent agree with you and what you just said was absolutely inspirational but when it comes down to funding and if you're going to cut funding that means you're going to you're also going to cut the teachers salaries and teachers availabilities um, maybe you'll hire part-time teachers and the sort of instruments that you have um, uh, to conduct a certain orchestra as you were um, talking about earlier. So how do we tackle this issue when the government is actually taking the money away from arts and music? How do we, how do we create um, a sense of inspiration 
within the school about art and music when there is not enough money going into it? Or do you think that is the solution? Well, I, I think, you know, if there was suddenly a, um, a pot of money which was there specifically for the arts, then that would help. You know, in the same way as you get a PE allowance for sport in schools and it enables you to buy sports equipment and you can get in... Um, you can get in specialist people to come and cover the P, um, PE for you. I mean, that would be a fantastic thing to do. But I think, I think the arts in, in the in the entire country is underfunded. You know, the orchestras really struggle and have done for many many years. And education within music is going to suffer from that. But I think more than that, it's just the fact that funding within schools there isn't enough of it, and it's not focused enough anyway. And so the money is then going to just go to where the focus is like you say so it's likely to be if they've got the ability to they're going to spend the extra bit of money on a member of staff who can cover the extra bit of maths that's needed to make you know this child get up to the next level or to support an extra group of children i mean i think that the 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 days of having specialist music teachers in every school is probably a long time gone um and also there aren't the people coming through the system that can then do that. And so that's the reason it starts to dwindle. And so I think it really is, it is training those children, uh, it's training those people to be able to do it. So, I mean, I, I would say if if there's any funding that is available and it doesn't have to be that much, just get some kind of understanding, some kind of CB, some, some kind of CPD out there that enables you to understand what can be done at whatever price. And there are lots of companies now, lots of organizations, lots of support that only cost maybe a few hundred pounds a year that actually give you all this information. You know, we're not talking about funding a teacher of 20 odd or 30,000 pounds. We're talking about maybe two or 300 pounds a year that gives you the resources you need. But as a school, as a senior leadership team, you need to think this is something we want to spend the time and the money doing. And we actually know that that will be of benefit. And then whatever XM, you know, you've got inset days, you know, make that an artistic one, make it a creative one, make it a music one, but make it, accessible enough that people can do it and then no matter what you're able to afford at least it's actually going in the right direction and it's not just ticking a box to say we've covered this on a on a cpd day but actually we're able to make sure that this can then be used as part of the vision of how you want arts and the creativity be within your whole school fascinating and um you now are um you now head a charity um, um, for primary school kids, if I recall correctly, I, I'm sorry, I forgot the name. Um, but uh, one thing that uh, comes out to me, what question that comes to me is that, of course, um, you're, you're heading an organization, you have a company for yourself. I can see a lot of entrepreneurial, business-mindedness um, in you, essentially, if that's even a word. Um, my question from that would be that if you were allocated, say, a hundred thousand pounds, or or even a thousand pounds, how would you allocate that within a school to? to make sure that arts and music, would you, would you be able to do equipments? Would you hire more people? I mean, within a certain school system, what do you normally see lacking um, in, terms of to make sure, in terms of music or in terms of arts to make sure that is, that is uh, the paramount importance, essentially, and that, you know, that really makes a difference? I think the biggest thing that I notice is the fact that there isn't the understanding of how it works as a whole. So... You're right. It depends on the amount of money that you have. So part of it I would put into training. Um, part of it would actually be, you know, buying some instruments, you know, whole classes of ukuleles or or samba gear or, or something like that so that you suddenly have the ability to perform on something that maybe you didn't have before. But I think one of the things that I, I do often try and articulate is the fact that you need a kind of a pyramid structure of what it is that you're trying to achieve. What is it that you want the children and the school as a whole to have as their vision of, of what being musical is or, or being creative is? And from a musical point of view, what we talk about often is actually having the foundations of a musical school at the bottom. So the sorts of things I talked about, you know, basic rhythm games in a circle, things that don't cost any money at all, just a little bit of understanding and maybe a small amount of training for the knowledge and an understanding of therefore of what pitch is, what singing is, um, of what composition is. You know, composition, everyone really freaks out about, I need to compose something. It's just like, you know, it's basically making a choice. Do I play this note or this note? Or And as long as you don't make the parameters too big, 
then actually you can do something really simply. But it's just that that knowledge of what that is. And I think what I would do is have that really basic foundation of making sure that every teacher in each of the, of the school had these basic understanding, this basic knowledge that they could put in as part of the work they did in school. They wouldn't even necessarily have to have a specialist music lesson if especially schools often don't have a lot of time for that sort of thing but you could use these skills and understanding within other subjects you're doing or cross-curricular or 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 anything like that you know a particular topic that you're doing you know bring musical elements into these things and actually make that really really exciting and beyond that then what do we do to improve that you know there is funding out there for certain children and certain parents will want to pay for um for um, private lessons, for example, or having a peripatetic person coming into your school. And there's all sorts of access to these things that can happen, starting with whole school things through the Wide Opportunities programmes and first access. Um, And, you know, you can get people from the Music Hub to come in and do 10 weeks of samba or 10 weeks of ukulele. And then all of a sudden, these children have had an exposure to that kind of thing. But what do you do then? You make sure that there's a chance for parents to hear this going on. Make sure the children in the school understand that this is going on. It's part of what you're doing. Make sure the performance elements are there so that then when other children have the opportunity to do it, yes, I want to do that because I've seen this. This is fantastic. And then you broaden it out as you then have a little bit more money. You know, if you've got it as a focus for your school, maybe the PTA can actually say, right, we're going to fundraise this year so that not only is year five going to do ukulele, but year three are going to do it as well. And then we've got this stuff. And then the in between, we're going to have um, maybe guitars or violin or something going on in the different year groups. And then all of a sudden, you then have the opportunity to pull these things together you know speak to the music hub and say look could we have one of your specialists that are coming in doing these individual things could they just stay for half an hour and put it all together and be an ensemble okay well let's try that let's see how that works and then not only have you got the things you've done in your year group you've got an ensemble then you've got a concert then you've got you know your school production that used to be a cd that you just put on now has maybe some live music elements to it as well the fact that you've been using your voice for all these rhythm games and you've been singing a little bit in your class means that all those performance opportunities suddenly are these children really know what they're doing and they know how to breathe they know how to project they know how to have the confidence to stand up with other people all these skills which are incredibly important for life whether music's an integral part of it or not but it's having that vision and the understanding of how this sort of pyramid idea works you know foundations at the bottom adding layers of things that make it more and more exciting as the as the ability levels go up and then you just take it from wherever you can you know you take your your children out of school you know maybe you do some singing in a in a community event maybe you go to one of these national singing events or you know take them to the theater and see something based on something they've been learning in musically in school and i think it's 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 understanding what that vision is and then using whatever resources whether it's a thousand pounds or a hundred thousand pounds to work out how you make that happen and how fast and how broad you can do it for as many people as possible listening to you kind of and the ideas you present is is nothing short of uh, spectacular have you ever thought about going political with this maybe a secretary of education for example i mean because the ideas you present and the way you present them and the process that you have, there's a structure to it. There's, uh, there's, there's some sort of inspiration to it as well. Because I, I already feel like if you were, if this, the stuff that you're talking about, if you actually implement that in, within school systems, it will definitely bring a dramatic change. So have you ever thought about becoming a political person with regards to bringing about a change in education? Um, it's, it's a really, really interesting question, and I haven't. And the main reason I, I haven't is because. I've had enough conversations with influential people who hear these conversations and you'd have these conversations with and they understand what it is that you're saying. But then my experience of the political system and the way these things work is there's a bigger agenda going on. There's there, there's other things happening. And even if people think it's a good idea, there's no immediate way of doing it and elections are five-year cycles you know there's immediate goals that need to be done there's immediate funding that needs to happen and I think the only way this sort of thing would happen is if we had kind of a cross-party agreement that this type of education this type of understanding a whole child-centered focus idea of what learning is about happened anyway 
you know, we don't need to prove that exam results are going to go up within the next three years before we start the next election cycle, or we, we need to spend an amount of money. If you think how much money has just been spent um, during this COVID crisis to, to help businesses, if you imagine you put like a, a minuscule amount of money into education to the arts, then of course it would make a massive difference. But you know, governments wouldn't even begin to see that as a is is a good idea because there's no payback in the immediate term, and a lot of these things have to have. This is going to work within the next five years, or this is going to have an effect on this, and we need to be able to prove that, and we need to be able to put all those things together. And I think, without understanding that you can't really do that. Um, then I think you're always going to be slightly hitting your head against a brick wall. And that isn't to say that maybe, like you said, I'm very flattered that you thought that I might be able to do something like that. I think I would probably end up hurting my head because I'm not sure it would actually make any difference, even if there were people around who agreed with it, because sooner or later you get to the point that nothing would actually be done. And that's why I've kind of focused much more on this kind of pebble effect, this ripple effect of, of having these conversations, hopefully teachers listening, um, senior leaderships listening, understanding there are schools that implement these sorts of things in lots of different situations. And it can be done, but it needs to kind of happen on an individual basis in a way that we can. And hopefully funding will change. Hopefully visions will change. And and hopefully that even within, you know, this current situation, we know that life can be different. And I know me mental health is a really, a really big thing at the moment. And we're, I think we're putting pressure on our children in lots of ways, a lot, as we've talked about already in terms of exams and testing. But the one thing I do know is that when children do need help, one of the first things that they put in place is the creativity. You know, it's about mindfulness. It's about, it's about coloring. It's about painting. It's about music. It's about so many of these things, and yet they're not the building blocks that we put in day to day. So even though, you know, scientists know this, doctors know this, governments know this, and they're talking about the fact we need to support mental health, you don't support mental health by having a phone number to talk to someone. You create the environment so that you thrive. And that's the, and that's, that's the most important thing that you can do. But as I said, that doesn't happen in a five-year cycle. It doesn't help anyone's career here and now. It takes real vision and understanding. And that's, that's the thing which I think would need to change first before any of this has a, has a real impact. Yeah, that's absolutely right. But I think we need people like you to bring about that change because I think that there's a lot less people who are actually taking tangible action. And, and tangible action can only be taken can only be taken if you're if you're in a in a, in a political uh, spectrum if you're in a political environment where you can influence change where you know how to allocate funds and uh, and it seems like you have a really good grasp on how the structure what what the structure is like what needs to change um, so who do you think who, who, on 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 a, on a macro level not on a micro level I understand what you're talking about on a micro level that um, we can bring about a change collectively but I'm talking about from the top so how does if you're not going to do the job, then who will, essentially, is my point. Um, well, that's the reason, as you, as you mentioned, I, I'm involved with the National Association for Primary Education, and that's non-political charity. Um, and it, it's it's organisations like that who I think can actually speak to ministers and can speak to people generally about these things in, in a calm and measured matter, in, in a calm and measured manner. Um, and and I think they they have the ability to be able to um, to have these conversations. One of the things that NAEP does brilliantly is it um, kind of coordinates the primary umbrella group, which brings together lots of the different subjects and unions, and, and they meet on a regular basis to talk about primary education. Um, and a lots of these conversations are happening, and they are then taken to ministers, and they are actually being able to be shown what to how, how that that can work. And so I think. I think it's coming from those standpoints which would actually make would actually make the most difference. And I think, you know, from from my own personal situation, um, I, I think it's actually speaking much more to the as I, as I said to, to the to the individual whether I'd actually be able to get to the point of being a government minister and able to be able to make those changes. I think even if I got to that point, even if I was shouting it from the rooftops. I'm not sure it would make any difference. And and I think that's the reason it's not something I've thought about doing or would necessarily put too much energy in because I'm not sure that despite all of that, it would make enough difference and enough people would actually make that uh, that change possible. I'm surprised. I mean, um, I, 
I respectfully disagree. I think uh, what you have created is a change. I know it, it has taken time since 2016 to now, but I think you are an inspire, inspiring figure. And uh, the way you talk about uh, creativity and you, the way you talk about how we're supposed to take education is is um, is unique. And uh, I think more people need to share your perspective, um, especially nowadays as well, when with all the funding and how people view education as well. I come from a, an Asian background, and I don't know whether you know this, and I'm sure you must have heard of this um we are very much very 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 structured when it comes to and we're, we're, we're very very focused on 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 what can education do for for us essentially and that's why we go towards stem fields because we know there's highest employability in that field um and we don't look at um the 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 the, the we don't look at nurturing the creativity of a child um i, I mean my father's a doctor and i, I and i clearly look at him even today um he does a lot of poetry so his passion actually lies towards poetry. And I personally think that he would have been a, an, a world famous poet had he started earlier rather than starting when he was, I don't know, 30 odd years old. And now he's, he's, he's going to be publishing his first book. So, so I think figures like you, and, and I think people need to listen to you and actually become inspired and come into the political spectrum to actually bring about an, a tangible change. Um, so, so yeah, actually, based off of that, I know that now this is not your mission, and this is not something that you think can actually work. So, what is your passion, or what is your mission in life now, especially with education on fire? Well, um, um, thank you. I mean, thank you very much for those very kind comments. I think it's it's what you said in terms of of people listening, in terms of people actually hearing what I'm saying, because, like I say, I'm passionate about it for for the people that it can affect, really. Um, and so basically more people listening to the podcast, more people being involved in that. Um, and and like I said, the idea of bringing some of these concepts directly to children, which is why I talked about, you know, using some of the stuff we talk about on the podcast and creating a book and being able to gift this to children in some form or another, because it, it, the, the, I had an interview on the NAPE podcast with um, the, one of the people, one of the founders of NAPE um, called John Coe. And I didn't quite understand it at the time. But one of the things that really strikes me as time goes on is he talked about the whole community aspect of, of education. And teachers do what teachers do in school. And that is based on government and influence and, and the system that's in place. And we also have parents and we have um, mentors and people around children outside of school. Um, and that works in a certain way as well. And actually, it's the combination of all of these elements working together that's a really, really important thing. And I actually would like to take this even further in that you just you have the child, any child at the heart of all of these things. And you have to then be accepting of where you are. You would hope that they have a family environment where they're able to thrive and they get great advice and they're nurtured and they're encouraged to be the best people that they can. But that might not be the case. You hope that in school they have a fantastic education, they have a teacher that really sees them, that inspires them, that, that gives them some of the skills that you know are important, as well as the, the learning elements that they have to learn as well. And they have the opportunity to do arts and sport and all of those things. But that might not happen either. But I think if you then bring these two things together and you give the child the idea that they can at some stage choose how they then want to move forward. You know, they might have had a great childhood at home. They might have had a great education at school. They might have had one or the other or both or neither. But what they can do is they can take responsibility and understanding that no matter what that is, there's a whole world out there which means that they can do what they want to do. I was lucky I got into music because music was big in my school and there were two young music teachers who really made it possible. But actually, just having some experience of music would have probably taken me in the same direction because it spoke to me. And so by being able to give children the understanding there's a big world out there of all sorts of stuff. And by hearing people that I've interviewed on the podcast who talk about their school experience of being good or bad or teachers that were good or influential, the fact that they read this book, which had a massive impact that they had this bit of information or this bit of advice that was given maybe from their parents, maybe from one of their teachers, maybe from a mentor, but all collaborated into one place or, or one umbrella, which I hope becomes education on fire, that you can come to somewhere like that and go, okay, now I'm surrounded by people who've 
changed their world, that are changing the world around them for the better. This is the kind of community I want to be part of in whatever form that happens to be. And then you get to the stage where you can go, right, now I've got control of my life. I've got access to knowledge. I've got access to influential people. I have the understanding that anything is possible. How am I going to do that? And at that point, then education can be whatever you want it to be. And I think if every child gets the understanding that that's the case, it's not about doing well in your stats or sitting in the class and putting your hand up and trying not to get an answer wrong, then the world is going to be a very different place. And that's going to mean that as they leave school, you know, the world that they want to inhabit, the kind of skills that they have, the kind of businesses they create, the kind of things that they want to see in the world will be very different. And essentially, that's really what we want for all of our children. Mark inspirational fascinating thank you so much i really appreciate you coming on how do people get in touch with you mark if they of course i'm sure people will find this of, of great help especially parents as well so how do they get in touch with you so everything you need to know is at educationonfire.com and there you've got all the podcasts you've got um all my social links as well and actually if you go to educationonfire.com there's a newsletter you can you can sign up to but through that newsletter there's a free download which is our top 10 resources and that's not just in terms of a book to read but it's also direct links to the people that we've interviewed sometimes and things that i think actually really can affect your life and that also gives you the ability to get an invitation to our facebook private facebook group as well where we have these kind of conversations and, and to grow this community to to kind of make the sorts of difference we've been talking about today amazing absolutely amazing i'll include all the links in the show notes guys so if uh, you guys want to check mark out and i would definitely 110 percent encourage you guys to listen to education on fire again it's got 155 episodes so there is not one thing that you know you, you can always get something out of that of course mark thank you so much for coming on and uh, have a great day oh thank you so much it's been a real pleasure and i've enjoyed chatting to you so much this was vital educators podcast by ahmed saki hope you enjoyed please follow or subscribe for more content every week